family, welcome to worship. So very happy to have you here today in this time together. You know, uh, I want to encourage you, please, to check in. If you would please check in through uh, your uh, the button on the uh, top of your page, I would appreciate that. Let us know that you're here. Also, if you'd like to join the chat, we'd love to have you do that as well. You know, there are folks from all over the United States and uh, uh, as well as other places around the world who are joining us today from Michigan and Texas, from Florida to Pennsylvania, New Jersey and North Carolina. Georgia, Mexico, Delaware, New York, Rhode Island, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. Wherever you are, family, welcome. You are a part of the family of God, and we know each other as fellow followers of Jesus Christ. You are a part of the Christ Church family. Well, you'll also find the notes today for the message under the notes tab, and you can find that there. I have uh, printed mine off, so mine are right here. You can do the same if you would like and be able to follow along. And guess what? There are no blanks to fill in, but there is a lot going on here, a lot of meat that I want to share with you today as we dive in to God's Word. We're going to do some Bible study today. I hope you're ready for it. We're going to be in the Old Testament in, uh, in the book of 1 Samuel today, so you'll want to dive in with me, I'm sure, as we uh, continue to study God's Word together. So let me ask you this. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that the the most difficult, the hardest, the, uh, the, the toughest trials that you face in life occur shortly after some of your greatest victories. Have you noticed that? That's sort of been my experience. I can tell you that. I'm not sure exactly why it happens, but it seems to me that, that opposition and hostility and sometimes even pain follow the trophies and the blue ribbons. They, it follows the awards. As I said, that's been my experience. Maybe it's yours as well. But I can tell you one thing, that was David's experience. And our, our series is focused on the life of David uh, after God's own heart. Now, if you're like me, you learned the story of David and Goliath when you were a kid, when you were a kid. And it sure appeared that the defeat of Goliath was the high water mark in David's life. You know, when I was a kid and I learned this story in Sunday school, uh, what, I, uh, th what I think I learned was that as soon as David killed that evil giant Goliath, that was the very event that propelled him directly to the throne of Israel to be Israel's next king. Well, but hold your horses, Alice, because Scripture tells you a totally different story, an entirely different story. In fact, David's victory over Goliath didn't sweep him up onto the throne of Israel, but get this, right into a tumultuous sea of testing. In fact, it was years and years and years of testing. So, folks, let's dive in, and I'll tell you the story today. So, once Goliath fell, 
David was a hero. You can imagine, right? I mean, this young boy killing this uh, great giant Goliath, he was the hero. In fact, he was the toast of the town. And if, uh, if there were newspapers back then, the headlines would have read like this. Here in the Jerusalem Post, teenage boy defeats Goliath. Yeah, and uh, the, uh, the uh, Bethlehem Times would have said, the local boy, a hero. Well, absolutely. He was the toast of the town. He was the national hero, all right. And everyone from the peasants to the king were shouting David's name. He even got a promotion from King Saul after the defeat of Goliath. Check this out. 1 Samuel 18.5. What does it say here? It says this, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was, look at this, that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Yeah, David was riding high as the national celebrity. Well, he was riding high as the national celebrity until his celebrity status started to outshine King Saul's celebrity status. Check this out. 1 Samuel 18, 6-8. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that is Goliath, by the way, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced with joy, with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Uh-oh. <laughs> Let's stop right there for a minute. Uh-oh. Uh, you see what they were singing? Uh, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. All of a sudden, they were, they were lifting David higher than King Saul. And boy, King Saul wouldn't have any of it. In fact, look what the last line says right here. It says, this made Saul what? You can say it, very angry. Yeah, this made Saul very angry. Now, if there's one thing that King Saul couldn't do, folks, he could not play a good game of poker. He couldn't play the good game of poker because he couldn't keep a straight face. He couldn't keep his emotions at bay. He couldn't, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't contain what it is that he was feeling. In fact, he couldn't contain his jealousy. He couldn't contain his anger. And he couldn't contain his paranoia. He couldn't hide it. There was no hiding it in Saul. In fact, Saul became increasingly angry increasingly angry. Check this out. 1 Samuel 18, 10. The very next day, a tormenting spirit overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman, it says. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him. Look at this. How many times? Once? No. Twice. Twice. Did you get that? <laughs> While David was playing the harp, and remember, David was one of 
Saul's musicians. He played the harp to soothe his nerves, to calm Saul down. But he was playing the harp, and Saul threw his spear at David, trying to pin him to the wall twice, not once, but twice. Check this out. Here we go. 1 Samuel 19.1. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. Huh. I suppose King, uh, King Saul realized that he wasn't a very good shot. And so what did he do? He tried to employ his own son and his servants to do his dirty work. But they weren't having any of it. I mean, everybody liked David. Everybody did. I mean, Dave, except King Saul, they, they knew David as a good man, as an honest man. But, oh my goodness, but Saul just wouldn't have any of it, not at all. So try, so Saul tries his hand to kill David again. Here we go. So First uh, Samuel 19, 9 and 10, here it is. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with a spear in his hand, the tormenting spirit suddenly came upon him again. And as David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David but David dodged out of the way, leaving his spear stuck in the wall. He fled and escaped into the night. Well, gosh, it's about time, right? I mean, good grief here. It happened again. And David decided that he wasn't going to hang around and be a part of one of King Saul's carnival acts, you know, the, the knife thrower act. He wasn't going to have any of it. And so he took off. And he went into hiding. That's right. David went into hiding. Let me tell you a story. It was in 1837 that a man named uh, William Tin Boom opened a watch shop in this house in the Netherlands. In this house in the Netherlands. He lived there with his family in the rooms above the watch shop. He opened the watch shop on the bottom floor, and the family, the Tin Boom family, lived up above. Now, the Tin Boom family, they were devoted Christians. They were, they were sold out for Jesus, and they dedicated their lives to the service of God and the service of others. And in the 1920s and the 1930s, the Tin Boom family took in many foster children during that time whose parents were doing missionary work. So when parents had, were leaving the Netherlands to, to go into to, uh, dangerous territory to share the gospel of Jesus, the, uh, the Tin Boom family would invite their kids to come and live with them while their parents were away. But now it's the year uh, of the Second World War. It's during the Second World War, and the Tin Boom family's home became a refuge, became a place of hiding. Uh, for refugees that were being hunted by the Nazis. And what they did was they built a secret room, a hiding place specifically for Jews. In fact, it was they built this uh, cabinet right here, and in this bottom place is where the people went in and out to hide from the Nazis. The Jews went in and out of this place in their home to hide from the Nazis. This is where the Nazis broke through the wall. I'll tell you that in just a moment. But this is not how they went in and out. They went in and out through this place right here. 
And this nonviolent resistance against their oppressors was the Tim Booms family's way of living out the gospel life. They believed that this is what they needed to do. This is how they needed to respond because they were followers of Jesus. During 1943 and 1944, there were usually five or six different people who were living in the hiding place, the secret room, illegally in the Ten Boom family home. Most of them were Jews, and there were some who were a part of the Dutch underground resistance. And over those two years, hundreds, did you hear me say that word? Hundreds of people passed through this little door to safety because of the Tim Boom family. But on a chilly February day, somehow the secret was whispered into the ears of the Gestapo. And within days, the Gestapo raided the Tin Boom family's home, tore the Tin Boom family from their place of residence, and sent them to a concentration camp, Ravensbrück. Once the provider of safety, the Tin Boom family, Corey Tin Boom, uh, now Corey needed a place of refuge for herself. And although there was no secret room that she could hide there at Ravensbrook, she found herself sheltered by God in the midst of her soul. In fact, one of Corrie ten Boom's famous sayings is this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to the Lord, you will be at rest. Corey Tin Boone. Well, David too needed a hiding place. He needed a hiding place from King Saul. Uh, and he went from hero to zero and in Saul's eyes just overnight, immediately began to suffer persecution, uh, bringing David after one of his, gra his greatest victory over the defeat of Goliath to one of the lowest points in David's life. And like Corey Tim Boom, David found a hiding place, but it wasn't in a secret room. It was in the cave of Adullam here in Israel, right in this cave right here. And it was there that David found the light of God's deliverance. In fact, by fleeing from the paranoia of King Saul, David found a hiding place, physically sheltered there in that cave, but spiritually he was sheltered in God's arms. And while in the cave, what we find in the scripture is that David wrote Psalm 142. And it reads like this. David saying, I cry out to the Lord and I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way that I should turn. 
Then I pray to you, O Lord, I say, you are my place of shelter. You're all I really want in life. Hear my prayer or hear my cry, for I'm very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. This prison was the place where that he was hiding in the cave there. It says, the godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. You are good to me, David says. You know, it just kind of makes me think about David being a caveman after God's own heart. David was a caveman after God's own heart. And yet, you know, some wonder, you know, when David was in the cave, where was God during that time? How could God have allowed this to happen to David? I mean, after all, David was the killer of Goliath. He, he saved the army of Israel. How could God allow that to happen? Well, isn't that exactly what we say when we find ourselves in a place of hurt and pain? When we find ourselves having to hide in the caves too, we cry out, you know, God... Why in the world do you let this happen to me? I'm a good person. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of your followers. I'm one of the ones who love you. How, how can the, you possibly allow me to go through these difficult times? Well, let me tell you something, folks. I want you to hear me clearly. Being a follower of Jesus, being a lover of God, doesn't mean that you're not going to have difficult times in life. Because the fact is, you will. You know, I know nobody wants to hear me say this. I know that nobody wants this said. But the fact of the matter is, God never promised you that life would be fair. God never said that when you were living here in the, on this planet, on this third rock from the sun that somehow your life was going to be fair and it was going to be easy for you. He never promised that, that those who follow him would not face persecution. He never promised that. He never promised that you wouldn't have struggles. God never promised that. But you know what God did promise? And I hope you'll hope you'll hear me say this very clearly and carefully, is that what God did promise is that when you were going through the struggle, when you're going through the difficult time, when you are being mistreated, when you find yourself looking for a place to hide, God says, I will be with you. You can find your shelter in me, God says. You can find your shelter under the wings of God's love, of his care, of his provision. You can find yourself in the cleft of God's rock 
where there is protection and care and incredible love. You know, for Corey Ten Boom, God brought officers, he brought guards, he brought other prisoners around her during that time in the Ravensbrück concentration camp where she was able to share her faith and her love for Jesus. And you know what happened to David? When David was in that cave, he soon discovered that people were coming into that cave too. In fact, his entire family came into that cave. Other people who were being mistreated by Paul came in to find shelter and hiding in that cave. In fact, the scripture tells us that more than 400 people ended up in that cave. Check this out from Psalm, uh, from 1 Samuel 22, 1 to 2. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave at Adullam. And soon his brothers and, and all of his soon, of his soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming. Who began coming? Think about it. men who were in trouble or in debt, who were just discontented. That is, discontented under the leadership of Paul. Why? Because they were being mistreated. Until David was the captain of about 400 men. <laughs> David, what did he do? He found, soon found that that cave was filled with family as well as strangers and every one of them fleeing from Saul's, King Saul's maniacal reign. You know, the entire nation of Israel suffered under King Saul's heavy-handed rule. Of the 400 men who joined David in the cave, some were under great stress, some were under great debt because of Saul's heavy taxation on them. Others were just being mistreated. And David didn't walk away from these people. What did he do? Instead, he stepped up and accepted the challenge to be the leader. In fact, that 400 men soon grew to more than 600 refugees. You know, I want you to take just a moment and think about this and maybe how it applies to your own life. You know, during one of the darkest times of David's life, you know what God did? God gave him a ministry. During the one of the lowest points of David's life, God gave him a ministry a ministry to step up and help those people who are around him. To be a leader, to be a helper, to be a guide to more than 600 people there who are hiding out because of the mistreatment of King Saul. And David didn't turn his back on them. But he stepped up and led as God had shaped his life with his spiritual gifts, his heart, his ability, his personality, and experience. God took all of that in David, and David recognized that he had the skills, and he stepped up and became the leader of all of these people who were hiding out in the cave. And so my question is for you. 
How is God using a cave experience in your own life? I'm sure that you've had cave experiences where you have been feeling like you just want to run away and hide because of whatever's going on around you in the world, however this situation in the world is affecting you, and you want to simply go and hide. What is the ministry that God is saying, I need you to take up because of this? How has God gifted you? How has he, he given you the spiritual gifts and the heart and the abilities and the personality and the experience to step up and begin to do something significant for the cause of Christ because of what's going on around you even today? And so I just need to say this. The next time you find yourself in a cave, let me ask you, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? Could it just possibly be that God is tapping you on the shoulder and said, I need you to step up? Listen, prepare now for God to bring you out of that cave and into a brand new ministry. That's what happens as we run to God, we find him there. Now, before we uh, bring this part of David's story into, uh, uh, into uh, close examination, let me ask you this question. How do you go from lonely depression to God's entrusted leadership? How do you go from the cave of despair into God's bright light of deliverance? Here is what I want you to know. When moving from moving from the cave loneliness and despair into God's light of deliverance, first of all, you have to meet admit your need. That's the first thing you need to do and you need to admit the need to yourself first. Admit your need. This is what David did. He understood that he had a need. He was there. He was lonely. God had brought him some uh, people who were looking for leadership. They were lost. They were lonely. They were afraid. And David stepped up. He admitted his need. That is the first thing we need to do. Then the second thing we need to do is we have to ask God for help. Ask God for help. Here's how David did it. In fact, we find it. He wrote it down in Psalm, uh, which has turned out to be Psalm uh, 57, verses 1 to 5. Check this out. He says, David cried out. He says, have mercy on me, O Lord, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose in me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. I'm surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. You know what David did? He asked, God's, he asked God for help. We go back to the thing for just a moment. Go back one more. He asked God for help. How about you? 
You know, it starts with admitting your need, right? It, it begins by admitting the fact that you need help, that you can't do this on your own, that, that, that you don't want to stay in that cave forever, that you want to get out of there. And so you, you admit your need, and then you begin to ask God for help. Cry out to God, King of kings, Lord of lords, the great I am to provide for you. And then here's the third thing that David did is what we need to do as well. When, we, when we're in the, in the hiding out in the cave and we need to go from de, uh, lon- the loneliness of depression into uh, the light of God's deliverance is we need to be teachable. We need to be teachable. What do I mean by that? Well, there are a couple of things. Number one is that, you know, Sometimes after you admit your need and after you ask God for help, one of the things that God will be pressing upon you to do is to go get some help, to find a a counselor, to find a trusted uh, Christian friend, to find somebody who can listen to you, to find a Stephen minister, to find someone that you can sit down with and talk Sit down and talk this through to get some guidance, to get some help on how you can deal with this problem. Because let me tell you, when you're in the cave of life, it feels overwhelming. But but sometimes it's simply overwhelming because the need looks so great. But if we can just be teachable to sit down with someone and work the problems through, If you're teachable, you'll find that sometimes the cave isn't as dark or as long and lonely as you think it might be. And you know what David learned? David learned throughout the experiences in his life that in all situations that God was his protector and God was his deliverer. He knew that. He had tasted the deliverance from God over and over again, from the lion and the bear stories that we talked about last week to the time with David, uh, when David uh, slayed Goliath, was face to face with the giant. He learned that God was his deliverer, that God was his protector, and he, re- he, he continued, to, continued to recall those moments. David was teachable because he continued to recall those times that God was his protector and his deliverer. And David, knowing that he was teachable and he was being taught by the Lord, wrote this psalm from Psalm 34. And he says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. The Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Family, unlike 
David, and unlike Corey Ten Boom, most of us are not going to find ourselves uh, fleeing from a concentration camp or the sword of an angry king. But you know, there are things in life that we will, from time to time, find ourselves needing to flee from. Fleeing from temptation, fleeing from addiction, fleeing from weaknesses, fleeing from uncontrolled anger, fleeing from mistreatment fleeing from injustice and fleeing from people who want to trample down and snuff out your faith. You know, David, when he was fleeing, fled to the safety of the cave of Adullam. And in that cave, he met God there. People in World War II in the city where Corey Tim Boom's family lived found themselves fleeing into the hiding place underneath the bookcase in a secret room in their home. And they met God there. There are times when we flee too. But the place where we need to run first is we really need to run under the shelter of God's wing. For in God we find our peace. In God we find our hiding place. In God, we find that we are surrounded by God's fortress. We find ourselves being protected in the safe harbor of God's love. That's where we find the presence of God. When you are finding yourself that you need to flee, Run to God. Run to God. Run to God. For there, you will find that your lonely, darkest days will soon see the deliverance of God's light. And you will find safety in the shelter and love of God's arms. Let's join our hearts together as we pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we the people of Christ Church come together to pray because, Lord, we need the safety that only you can provide. There are many times in our lives when we feel like we just need to run away that life's too hard, life's too tough, that we've been fighting for so long and we still don't have what we're looking for. We still don't have 
the justice we need. We still don't have the, 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 the freedom over our addictions. We don't have the financial breakthrough that we need to have. We don't have a, a, a medical breakthrough that we've been looking for. And we find ourselves, Lord, simply having to run and to hide. But Lord, our prayer is that we would always remember, Lord, that we can run to you. That when we need to run, we can run to you where we will find peace, where we will find shelter, where we will find the safe harbor of your love. Thank you, Lord, for being that refuge that we can go to in times of trial and trouble. May we learn from King David that we need to admit our need, that we have to admit it ourselves, that we need to understand that we have a problem or that we have a, a need, and then we give it to you. We ask you for help. But there's more. We've got to be teachable. We've got to be willing to see your hand at work. We've got to be willing to, to sit down with a counselor if we need to. We need to be willing, Lord, to learn from your word. We need you, Lord. And we find that the, we find the light of your deliverance in the darkest places, in the darkest caves of our life. And Lord, we pray right now for those who have yet to experience the freeing and saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because there are those who, who say, I want this, but I don't even know how to find it. And so I invite you to pray in the silence of your own heart and say, God, I, I don't understand it all, but I want to invite your son, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life, to be my director. I ask you, Lord, to to bring Jesus into my heart and my life that I may accept him as my savior to deliver me from the cave to deliver me from that darkness that dark place so that I may run into the light of your love into the light of your protection into the light of your hope I realize I can't do this on my own the need is too great. The temptations are too strong. The uncontrolled anger is, is getting the best of me. And I find myself looking for places to hide. But in those caves that I go to hide in, I only find myself in a place of loneliness and darkness and all those temptations always find me there. So I want to flee to you, Lord. I want to find my rest in you. I want to find my protection in you. I want to find my hope in you.
Lord, bring your light into my dark heart. Remake me into your image. And allow me, Lord, to know the gift of eternal life and the amazing gift of your forgiveness. And I pray all this in the holy and precious and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.